welcome to the Engaged Midwife Podcast. This is Missy. And this is Kara. And today's episode is going to be all about substance abuse and substance abuse disorders and pregnancy. And we are joined today by a lovely midwife named Mandy. Hi, Mandy. Hi. And she's going to talk to us a ton about clinical experiences with these patients, how we should care for them, things that we might not consider, um, and, you know, just basically how we show empathy to patients um, who may have substance abuse disorder. So welcome, Mandy. Thank you so much for having me. We're excited to have you today. You want to tell us a little bit about you? Sure. I um, work as a laborist um, in the certified nurse midwife role, inpatient, of course. Um, I participate in the care of women who are uninsured or underinsured, um, a lot of substance use disorder, um, a lot of fair immigrant population. And I also am an integral in the role of teaching, which is students um, across all disciplines, residents, and we have an OB fellowship as well. So it's kind of uh, a great role as a midwife um, to be where I am. I love, I love my, the place where I work. I love my team and I love my partners. They're an incredible family. So Mandy, you came to this role where you're serving as, you know, kind of a laborist and taking care of women with substance use disorders. Is that something that you've been doing for a long time or, you know, did you have other types of practice experiences before this? I have. Yeah. So, um, I grew up in the facility that I'm in, um, and I was also trained um, in the clinical rotations during my um, midwifery training by um, my laborist partner. So it's pretty great. I did experience a variety of different practices, including private. And what I came to is always back home. <laughs> I did not ever set out um, thinking that I would take care of women with substance use disorder. Um, but I'm good at it. So as one of my a nurse, um, nurse colleagues told me, you know, you better just strap that boot up because <laughs> that's just what you're here to do. And I'm very grateful, uh, to be able to be in that space. We always talk to students and even practicing midwives about really finding what their passion is. So it's great that even early in your career that you really knew that that was something that you would be interested in. So what's the, what's something that like, right, you know, first off, you want to say about these patients that you care for who are in a situation that they have a substance abuse disorder? I think that every person has value. And this population, in my opinion, benefit the most from midwifery care. They, they need midwives. Um, and I am so grateful because my partners are really practice in the midwifery model. You know, we have a variety of disciplines. You know, we have OBs, we have DOs, we have family docs, and then midwives. So it's a great harmony. Um, but, you know, midwives you know, just inherently we, we hold space, we have compassion. Um, you know, we, we want to hear the story and listen and hold space and, and we're kind of fluid and tend to 
think outside the box and go against the grain. Like most of us don't just fall into midwifery. Um, it's a, it's a calling or a passion. And, um, that's a great point because I think regardless of, of what it is, you need to find something that just like sets you on fire, you know, because we're, we're here to help and we need to help ourselves too. That, that I'm learning. I think, I think many people are learning that, that um, this past year, how to take really good care of oneself to take care of others. So I'm curious, Mandy, um, you know, this is something, you know, you're good at, but I'm guessing, well, and maybe I should ask, is it a practice that's specific for women with substance use disorders or just because of the area that you're in, there's a higher prevalence? Well, uh, that's a great question. Um, so our role is really anything, any woman who comes in the door without an attached provider, um, we do run triage for almost all patients, um, but it does channel in from a, uh, the local community clinics. Um, but we actually have a program that we developed, which is almost um, five years old now, called Baby Steps. And that was developed by one of my wonderful partners. And was really like rooted in evidence-based research and kind of pulled and modeled over our area um, treatment centers because we realized there was a gap. Um, you know, we being where we live, um, it was very apparent 10 years ago, probably uh, earlier on than most in the country to realize that opiate use disorder was here to stay um, and that our treatment modalities were definitely lacking, meaning all we had was methadone or nothing. And so that has really kind of blossomed into what it is now, which is really um, an integrative treatment program. It is not just medication and go on your merry way. That doesn't work. The other thing is tailoring it to each woman because often there are a variety of different stressors preventing her from success. And it's not, I think here's, here's the, the, one of the messages. We know that relapse is part of the disease and it's a chronic disease. So we often should change our language and our perception of this disease, this chronic disease. Um, if a woman relapses or drops out, maybe we don't need to blame her. We need to see what we can do better because really that's it. I think another really important part to realize through that is and I know personally, because don't take it personal, one of the four agreements, um, I used to get really upset if I found out that there was a relapse or that a woman maybe lied to me or something like that because of the space that I create. But don't take it personal. The disappointment is going to be there if you let it. Really, all these, all women just need someone to be kind to them. None of that, none of the women, I've, I've never had a woman say to me, I really love this life. 
it's just not true. I think that asking the story is the most important part. If you feel like you have judgment or you don't understand it, um, asking the story will help kind of open your eyes on what, what this one person in front of you that you're caring for, what their life was like. And they made probably messed up and made a lot of mistakes, but they were doing the best they could with what they had at the time. So one of the things Kara and I are always saying is when we know better, we do better. Absolutely. And that sounds so relevant in this conversation that, you know, those of us who don't deal with these patients on the regular, on a regular basis do insert some bias or some judgment into those situations. So I think what you've said is so just freeing to be able to say like, they don't want this life and the judgment that you're placing on them, you know, is really, um, not, it's not the right thing because they want to be different. They want to change. Right. So I think the judgment, of course, you have those moments. I think that's that righteous anger or it's really always comes back down to fear, you know, that it's more punitive, you know, in how we treat any type of mental health issue or substance use disorder, all of that. I mean, it's, it's not just one tiny little problem. It's across the board, which we can be integral and in changing because I know specifically for my unit, you know, there was a lot of pushback and, he- and hesitancy. And even one of my dear friends, this is a great example. Um, she didn't understand it. She had a lot of judgment against, against women with, Um, substance use disorder, because for her personally, she had a family member that had an intervention and everything was hunky dory after that. And I just had to say, you know, that's not normal. That's awesome, but that's not normal. I just want, start, start asking the story. And a few months later, she came to me and she said, I started asking the story and you're right. It really opened my eyes. And I was like, see, I mean, that's all I did. I didn't, you know, I wasn't born again to take care. I didn't think I was, but here I am. But I just started doing what I do as a midwife and asking questions and listening and listening from a place of non-judgment. So that story and really asking, I find so often that people divulge so much when you have that conversation and you get to know them and you build that trust. And so I think that's some of what you're talking about. I'm curious, just because this has come up recently in my own clinical practice, the conversation about drug screening and how that can hurt trust in ongoing care. Do people come back to us? That kind of idea. Can, would you be willing to share just a little bit about what you think about drug screening? Um, I I would trust. Yeah. I think it's a, a great question. Um, I, I'm honestly shocked that practices are still doing risk-based assessment because that is a huge disservice. For my particular location, um, we kind of went through this and saw this morph into what it is today, which is universal. And um, for our patient population, we obviously were drug screening and, you know, we were doing risk, but really we just started drug screening all. And then it turned into the nursing staff actually noticing we probably need to be screening everyone um, with the epidemic at hand. 
um, you know, there were, there was a lot of pushback. I heard a lot of the concerns from other physicians and midwives and providers, but you know, it's just an essential part of care. It's, it's, if there's, you should have trust in your provider, of course. Um, but it should come from a place of just being an integral component. Um, because if you're doing risk-based assessment, you are often lending yourself to bias. And that's what we started seeing because when we adopted universal, um, in the hospital to all admissions, just like all the area hospitals do, a lot of the other private groups, which were initially hesitant about this and fracturing a relationship, were, were quite shocked that perhaps one that they never would have suspected or maybe was negative on those risk-based assessment screenings was in fact having substance use disorder. Universal screening gives us early detection. It can give us education for our women. It helped me, you know, help to prevent birth defects um, and, you know, drug withdrawal, which really should be called neonatal abstinence score. So we should be careful with our language. But um, so that's just a part of care. So I, I really think that if you have hesitancy in adopting a universal, maybe you should check why and I think a lot of it that I heard too was, what do I do with a positive one? Mm. We lovingly refer that to that as the tox talk. And I've, uh, I've been, you know, through my experience, gotten a lot better at it. Um, hey, maybe can you, um, can you talk us through the tox talk? Because I yes. think that's a great clinical skill to learn. Absolutely. Like, pretend that we're your patient and tell us yes. what, how you would say this. So again, you come from a place of non-judgment and it's just stating a fact and opening up the space in the conversation. Okay, Missy, let's go over your labs from last time. Um, you know, everything looks well. All of your blood work came back good. Your pap smear was normal. Yay. You don't need one for three years. Yay. And um, one thing did come up though, and I'd like to talk to you about it. Um, there, your tox screen came up with XYZ. And then I just sit. Then I sit some more. And I just keep sitting. <laughs> it really is that easy. I have learned that if you approach it just as a matter of fact and holding the space, you're not going to get somebody really you don't want that that woman to run off because they will. So that's a conversation that does not need to happen over the phone. It needs to happen in person. Um, give them the benefit of the doubt. If they say, oh, that's weird, X, Y, Z explanation. Okay, well, we can do another one or, um, you know, a lot of times a, a false positive will come up. We're very good at false positive and the, and the confirmatory testing, it reflexes to that. And we know there are substances that do have false positives, but we, we can pretty sure tell almost with like 99.9%, um, you know, efficacy that is a particular substance. So really it's just non-judgment. And then, um, Asking if they want help and being okay with them saying no. 
and offering resources and being okay with them saying no. Um, Maybe it's no, not right now, but it's not no forever. Here you go. Here's their number. Um, Often what I'll do is say, hey, maybe you haven't thought about this yet. Maybe you had, oftentimes they have, and they're dying to talk about it. Um, it's, here's this number. Our program's called Baby Steps. You can call them anytime. Is it okay if they call you maybe just to check in? There's no obligation. There's nothing at all. Um, you know, if the woman is going to continue the pregnancy, she's, she, she wants the pregnancy and wants to go full term, she's already thinking about what's going to happen. And so what I do is just realistically paint the picture. You know, you're going to have drug tests repeated throughout your pregnancy since you had this first positive one. And of course, when you go into labor or any admission, you'll, you'll be drug tested. If these tests come back, you will have social work in your life. Um, and, and maybe it's marijuana. I mean, honestly, the, the lar- by far the largest um, you know, positive result is marijuana. So I, that is a good conversation to have too, because then I can say, look, I can't say it's okay to smoke weed. Sorry. <laughs> um, it is illegal in our state. Um, and we don't have any, you know, convincing evidence that it's okay. Um, and then I go into the talk about potential, you know, side effects in the newborn and, and even in the child later on. So It just lends more of an education piece for them. You also, of course, is what we do. We hold the space and we educate. We empower too. So I ended on a positive note. And I try, by this point, I've already gotten to know this woman pretty well because of the thorough exam. You know, the thorough history and physical is where it's at. So you can kind of play back to that. Like, hey, I know that your situation isn't ideal right now and your dad just died. You lost your car. Things look crazy. I have a lot of things that may help with all of that, including this. So, yeah. It's interesting because some of this goes back to the idea of like that five A's framework where we talk about like ask, advise, assess, assist, and arrange. And that's really something, a framework that we use for smoking, but also seems like it applies here as well. Sure does. So that's incorporated. And, you know, a lot of motivational interviewing techniques as well, but really it happens organically. I know you, we study and we study and we study and we try to look to new ways, but and really that's key. Just, just keeping up. And okay. I've noticed that this really this model or what I'm doing isn't really effective or not, I'm not communicating in a way that's really resonating with this woman. What can I do that's different? And really it's just, you go back to your tenets of midwifery care. Um, Again, we're just, it's really the, the, the perfect provider in my opinion, besides my wonderful partners is, is is midwifery care for them. They need, somebody to be kind to them and say, it's okay. This is a disease. And you know what? We can, we can help this. We can learn how to manage it. So Mandy, I'm curious, um, not all 
you know, places across the country, cities, towns have the same resources. Um, and it sounds like you guys have a really good program in place. Did you seek out extra training and do you do like medication assisted therapy? I think you mentioned methadone maybe. Are those things that you have available in your program or do you just have them aware, you know, know of them in your city and where you can get people help? That's a great question. So we um, actually do. So we do buprenorphine. Um, and that, and within our baby steps program, because it's all encompassing, I like that we started the conversation really about that and not just medication. Um, because a lot of times, again, like with any chronic disease, you don't just take a pill and, and go on your merry way. It's not how it works. And what a lot of our evidence has shown is we have mountains on methadone, that type of therapy Um, just taking the medication doesn't work and you have to do the internal work. A lot of these women really don't want to be on a maintenance medication. And in fact, want to go off of it if they, you know, maybe they've been trying to get off of it and they wound up getting pregnant. This is usually what happens. Women get uh, help. They go on the medication assisted therapy and their body is like, Oh, thank goodness. And then they're over like, let's party. And then they get pregnant. Um, pretty, pretty normal. But yeah, so we do have um, a program where we um, induct them in the hospital under observation. But most of the time, it's in an outpatient um, setting for induction. Yes, we did do lots and lots of training um, and, and really dug into the types of treatment modalities that we wanted to incorporate. Um, again, like my partners are just really great. We have a great team within baby steps as well. Um, you know, all of them are like on speed dial on my phone cause they are problem solvers and fixers and, um, which are great, but, um, our methadone clinic, um, you know, oftentimes methadone clinics are, are a cash-based facility and they're daily dosing and really um, not a lot of resources to work with. So really in the long run, there's no motivation for someone to go off of that therapy, um, which can be challenging. There are also other offices that are now becoming kind of cash uh, Subutex or Suboxone clinics. Um, and while I don't want to knock it because, it, you know, buprenorphine definitely has a role, um, it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. You have to have the therapy or the other healing modalities, whatever that looks like, to help a woman heal herself. And not go back into the patterns of what she's always known and help her become the best version of herself so she can do that for her children. You know, that's our ultimate goal, right? Healthy moms and healthy children, not just babies. You know, we have to look at the long game and the long game is assisting someone just to help in the day-to-day because the day-to-day is hard. Um, yeah. Yeah. I hear you talking about, you know, having several different tools in your toolbox and that there's many approaches and that holistic approach with midwifery. And 
we've talked about this several times before that sometimes those higher risk situations that aren't traditional, what we think of as low risk midwife patients, they need midwives even more. And that's what I'm hearing from you is that approach that we can bring to the care for these patients. Absolutely. You know, I'm very fortunate in that I I, I guess it is high risk. It's a high risk all over it, maybe high, high, high risk. Um, But whatever that is, you can participate in the care of the patient and really, you know, women love their midwives. Let's face it, because a lot of times I know that I love my midwife because she knew me and she would ask the right question and, or she would just look at me and know that something was different and just hold space for me. Everybody needs that. Just the concept of holding space, I think is so important for our listeners. I do. I can think of so many families who have let me into their own space and that I have such, you know, amazing relationships with now, you know, even though their kids are 12 or 14, like those, those relationships where we hold space. But I really appreciate that, that you're telling us how to give like that, still that kind of care to women who um, who need it the most? I feel privileged as a midwife. I know a lot of midwives feel that way. I feel privileged to be invited into a space with them, especially in a delivery. It still makes me cry. It still revs me up. If it doesn't do that someday, I need to do something else. Um, but I feel privileged to take care of these patients. They Honestly, I know that on the outside, it wouldn't look like that to a lot of people, but just through my own personal journey, I have learned so much um, about myself and others. Sometimes I feel like I get more out of the encounter than they do, (laughs) Um, and it has really helped me through my journey because I've experienced a lot of grief and loss. Um, and, and trauma myself and to be able to be invited into a a space that is so vulnerable and maybe like dark and twisty and a lot of people don't want to look at it. Um, I feel grateful that I'm, I'm in this role and, and with this population. Well, Mandy, I feel like we're, I'm so grateful. I know Missy is as well, that we've had this time with you today. If you think about what would be the big takeaway message that you hope that young midwives, students, new grads, what could they take away from this conversation that we've had? I think that just check your judgment. You're good at it already, you know, Um, just to listen. I think another thing to mention is burnout. And taking really good care of yourself so you can take really good care of others. And whatever that looks like, whatever your medicine is that you have to mix up in your little bowl, you know, if that's singing or dancing or yoga or meditation or painting or whatever it looks like. And, And you already have those things that you do. Guess what? Suggest them to somebody else. Suggest them to your patients. Don't be afraid to have the hard conversations. Mandy, one of my favorite things that you have said and we have said to each other over the years is 
this isn't our story. This isn't how our story ends. And it's one of the most precious things that you and I have said to each other over the years. But I think that goes into this conversation for this, these patients. I think it can be meaningful to use those words for somebody. And Kara and I always say, too, we can do hard things. And so if we pair up the, you know, we can do hard things and I'm here to do hard things with you. And this is not your story. That's how we make an impact for those patients. Yes, it definitely is a theme of my life for sure. I'm so grateful for you. And I'm so, so wonderful to meet you, Kira. This has been phenom. I love it. I love talking about all things midwives. <laughs> I do too. And I just, I mean, there's so many times while you were talking that I got chills and goosebumps and oh, it's right. just so fun to celebrate being a midwife and what midwives are all about. And thank you so, so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So thanks for joining us for the Engage Midwife podcast. We can't wait to have you tune in another time.